Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Courtney Durandi, a CPA and managing partner of TDT CPAs and Advisors. Courtney, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, absolutely, Steve. I'm glad to be with you today. Um, I'm excited to have a conversation that may seem a little uh, wonky at the outset around how we integrate information about the financial support of nonprofit organizations for accounting purposes and other mission-related stuff, how those things interrelate. Um, and it's really important things to think about, and we don't get enough conversation about this, so I'm very grateful for you to take the time to do that. But before we dive into the specifics, can you just talk a little bit more generally about what uh, TDT uh, does and your work there. Yes. So TDT is a CPA and advisory firm. So we work with small businesses and nonprofit organizations. Our main focus is really trying to help, you know, those overwhelmed, successful leaders understand how they can use financial information to achieve better results and move their organizations to the next level. So for a lot of people, financial information can be um, confusing and overwhelming. We work with those leaders to kind of cut through that confusion and help them understand how that information can help them to grow and, and to scale their organizations. Yeah, I think there is such power in a budget as a storytelling vehicle, for example, as something to say, here's what we want to do. But often we need to go back and say, you know, against that plan, how do we do? What was the mm -hmm. outcomes of how much money did we raise? How much money did we have to spend uh, on those program outcomes? Um, what of that money may have been restricted by a donor? What of that was general operating? How do we, you know, all of these things that are so important to do right and well for the people that we're trying to serve in the nonprofit community. Um, but one that comes up for me a lot that I wanted to begin our conversation about is the idea of how much donor-specific information do we need in accounting software? Um, and I'm going to assume that maybe there's different answers for different nonprofits uh, that, that may have different circumstances. But I do think that, um, that there's this challenge of how are we tracking what is coming in from individuals versus a government grant or a, uh, um, and a foundation support or whatever other sources of revenue earned income, for example, um, may come in. And, and how do we look at that? So as a, a newer organization comes to you, Courtney, they say, great, I, I, I really want to talk to TDT about how you guys can help me. How do we decide what to think about in terms of donor information that ends up in accounting software? Yeah, so we start with the end in mind. <laughs> so accounting systems are for capturing what has happened and reporting on them. And so um, really thinking about who do we need to report to and what do we need to be able to provide Knowing that helps inform what processes and systems are used at the transactional level to make sure that we have the information we need to report what needs to be reported. So that can mean uh, reporting for the IRS 990, uh, reporting for um, um, some of your granting agencies, it could be reporting to your board or to significant donors about the use of the funds that they've provided or your annual report for your nonprofit organization. It could be what you as the executive director just need to know in order to manage and operate the organization. So, uh, so what, 
what systems we um, recommend integrating and how to record um, at the transaction level really first starts with a conversation about optimizing your processes uh, and what are the end results that we want to make sure we achieve. So we got to set up processes that will get us the information so that at the end when we need to report for all those various reasons, we've got what we need. I really appreciate where you started that with, you know, what's the end in mind here? Because for a lot of the organizations I work with, when we talk about individual donors, the the hope there is we're building a relationship with them uh, to keep them engaged in the mission work. Hopefully as a, a, a recurring giver, somebody who may give more than one time, um, those types of tracking and those types of things uh, are often kind of thought of in donor relationship management software. Um, and my experience with most accounting software, as you said, is kind of more backwards looking looking not so much forwards projecting of relationship, that this may not be a tool that could be or should be used that way. Uh, am I wrong? Or do you see people using um, the accounting software as a way of thinking about relationships with donors? We do see it sometimes, but it's generally not the best approach. So for like you mentioned, you know, we, we want to capture information about donors so that we can, um, you know, track communications with them, provide information to them. And from an accounting software standpoint, we want to capture the transactions that happen that impact the financial statement. So, so for a lot of small organizations, uh, even medium-sized organizations, QuickBooks or QuickBooks Online is an ideal solution for accounting. It's, it's a simple, straightforward um, system that allows some great automation um, and, and efficiencies that you can gain in recording those transactions, but it's not designed to be your donor management software. One of the great aspects of the online version, though, is that they have allowed for so much integration with other tools. So it might make sense to create a connection, an integration between your QuickBooks Online software and your donor management software and determine which information do you want to enter in the donor software and have it flow into QuickBooks? Or is there information that you want to enter into QuickBooks and have it flow out to the donor management software? And so I, I think that most organizations are going to need to have two different systems, um, it might make sense to integrate it to reduce redundant data entry, uh, but I, I wouldn't recommend using the accounting software as a CRM or a donor management software. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that there have been a couple of times in working with charities where I've seen that happen just because people are used to thinking of, well, the accounting software deals with money. This is money. It goes into the accounting software. And um, <laughs> thinking more along the lines of, well, this is a, a donor that wants a relationship with your mission who also has a financial transaction that's happening. Um, so how do we keep those things lined up so that we're yeah not doing a lot of duplicate data entry, uh, understanding that relationship? but being able to use the right tool at the right time. So um, you mentioned QuickBooks, QuickBooks Online uh, as a tool that's fairly common. I see it a lot. Um, there are certainly other ones that are out there, but that one I do think has more of those integrations that you're talking about. Um, so where are some use cases where you, you um, talk with a client and they have, you know, 
couple thousand donors, uh, and um, many of them are smaller, you know, $100 donors, $50 donors, whatever. Maybe you get some of them that are that $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 donor. Um, where do you start the conversation around? How do I decide, is it important and worthwhile to integrate uh, the information from my donor management system that talks to those few thousand people um, versus, you know, what goes into my accounting system so that I get good actionable data when making business decisions? Yeah, so so it really starts with thinking about that end result again. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that we have to capture in the accounting system about donations is whether there is a restriction. So donors can place restrictions on gifts and the nonprofit organization receiving those gifts and accepting those restricted gifts has a fiduciary responsibility to honor that restriction. And so when we report on that on the 990 or in financial statements, we have to be able to know of the gifts that we received, how much of those gifts were restricted. And so we have to set up the accounting system to be able to, to account for that separately. Um, what is it restricted for? And to know when that money is used, that that restriction has now been released. So this is where I think sometimes it can become challenging. We think, well, we don't wanna put all of this in QuickBooks. Um, let's just put it all in the donor management system. But then if we don't get the relevant information that impacts the financial reporting into the accounting system as well, we're missing. So we can't have it you know, uh, just in one place or the other, but we don't need all the information from both together. So we start the conversation with clients thinking about what do we need to be able to report out? Are there restrictions on the use of funds? Are there restrictions on the timing of funds? Are there specific grants that have budgets attached to them that have, you know, um, you know, where a federal or a state grant or even a private grant sometimes has specifically given you a budget for how you can use these dollars? Any of that type of information is important to capture in the donor management system, but it's also important to know in the accounting system so that we structure the system to report on that. And anytime that you need to report out on something, you have to have a process in place to be able to capture it at that level when the transaction is recorded. So, um, so we we work with clients to to go through this um, process optimization where we think about okay, what do we need to report out? What happens in the organization from a cash receipt standpoint, cash disbursements, payroll? A lot of nonprofits, their payroll. Um, needs to be allocated to specific right. programs or grants. We need to be able to uh, not just make sure bills get paid and deposits get made, but when they get paid and when those deposits get made, we can tag those transactions with the appropriate level of detail. Um, and so there's a few different tools we can talk about if you'd like, uh, you know, with project tracking and class trans tracking and things like that if you want to get into that level of detail but that's that's kind of where we start with clients is again what do we have to get out of this and then let's back into what processes do we have to put in place to make sure we get all of that entered at the transaction level 
Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things about what you said that I want to ask a little bit more about and echo on, one of which is about this idea of individual donors and restrictions, because mostly the the small individual donor, if you're asking for $100, $500, $20, um, it's probably unrestricted general operating types of revenue, unless you, in the way that you solicited the money, have restricted it. Uh, and I'm, I always want to be careful with talking to clients about this to say, if you're doing a big year-end giving campaign, um, you know, and as we're talking in November of 2020 right now, it is uh, in Minnesota, Give to the Max season, which is our big statewide giving day, but Giving Tuesday is coming up uh, as a big giving thing shortly, uh, that if you send out a solicitation to your donors and say, um, you know, we are raising money for X program, uh, we need to raise $10,000 to do X program, so please send you, you've restricted that gift that comes in as a result of that versus somebody saying, we need your support to do programs such as this and this and this, um, and we will be using it, you know, for our, our general mission needs, right? As opposed to it's only going to this one thing. So part of that restriction could be in how you ask for the money and how that response comes in versus uh, the donor coming in and saying, you know what, I got your general operating support request, but I really only like this one program area. So I want to uh, restrict my gift to this particular need uh, and ask you to track that and confirm with me that that's how it was used. So um, I, I think that that's important to put on the table about, you know, where do restrictions come from when it comes to individual donors different from institutional giving like foundations where it's often um, restricted to a program that there was an application for. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great point. And uh, so from an accounting and reporting standpoint, only a donor can restrict a gift. Sometimes there can be an added layer of um, confusion, or even if it's not confusing, just an added layer of reporting if there are designations by the board. So sometimes right. gifts will have come in unrestricted by the donor. They say, you can use this for whatever you need. And the board will decide, we're gonna set aside this money for a specific purpose. We're gonna reserve it as a, um, as a board designated endowment. We're gonna reserve it for replacing the roof in five years, you know, whatever it is. It could be program related. Those are designations, not restrictions. And so it's important to also know, uh, yeah, I'd say three things. Um, is there a restriction on this from a donor? Um, and if so, what is the restriction? Um, and if there isn't a restriction, is there a designation that we've internally put in place? Those both need to be tracked. And to your point about the purpose of the all this accounting in the first place, uh, um, you know, keeping that end in mind, one of those things can be communicating to donors, both individuals and institutional, about what those funds look like on a balance sheet. So if if you did do a board designation for an operating reserve fund, um, for a capital reserve fund to fix the roof later, um, for a program reserve fund for this one thing or whatever, that really helps convey information to, to new donors to go, we don't just have a load of extra cash sitting and checking, right? That, that that money is actually kind of internally spoken for. To your extremely important point, designated by the board, the board could undesignate it later if the world changes, as opposed to being able to und, uh, restrict a gift, which a board can't do on its own. Um, those are really great things. So with that end in mind of um, how are we communicating that maybe we have some reserved funds, but they are kind of spoken for 
putting those into designated funds at the accounting software can show there's an intention behind that can really help new donors think, oh, right, I see that they're not sitting on loads of extra cash. They've got plans for what they do have. Maybe my donation is still important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and what we're seeing right now um, in 2020 with the impact that COVID has had on so many nonprofits is that a lot of organizations are having to utilize those reserve funds. Right. And so um, having, having had them already designated and clear to users of the financial statements what those funds were for just creates an, an additional level of visibility and transparency to show the impact that has been made. If you haven't done that before, that's okay. It's not too late. You know, I, we, we've been working with some organizations on um, forward-looking um, projects to say, okay, here's where we are right now. You know, our reserved fund used to be six months of operating expenses, and we have used a lot of it mm-hmm. in the last few months. We need to figure out where do we go from here? And so using that historical financial information as a baseline to make assumptions going forward to forecast what what do we need to do? So if, if you haven't captured it you know, accurately and by those specific purposes, if you don't have good information as a foundation, it can be really hard to use that information to plan for the future. And so it's not only important for being able to report out to the for the reasons we mentioned, it's also really foundational for being able to plan different scenarios for, for how to go out into the future. Because right now, a lot of organizations need to go out and make a specific ask to donors to rebuild their reserve, or they need to decide if they need to change the way that they price, you know, fee for service um, items going forward. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to do that if you don't have an actual forecast um, that shows you how to make those decisions. And that forecast has got to be based on some assumptions applied to accurate historical information. Yeah, I, I want to go backwards on a couple of things that you said, because they're so interesting and important. But I, I want to take this moment on this forecasting thing before we do go back uh, on some of the other things you brought up to say that traditionally, that's not something I see coming out of, you know, most accounting software, right? I mean, this is something where you need a little bit higher level of sophistication to help people project based on you know, what donor revenue is coming in, what earned revenue is coming in at the burn rate you're going through on the reserve that you had. We've got this much time before you have to start making something. So here's where the people that work the accounting software become, I think, so much more important in that relationship. Um, so are there um, kind of little utilized or unknown features of some of that software where for forecasting is more built in or is that really kind of the the art where you need that um, CPA advisor to come in and help you extrapolate the, that future scenario so you understand it better? Yeah, I think that most nonprofit organizations, small and medium-sized nonprofit organizations, typically don't have the resources internally to be able to prepare adequate forecasting or program profitability analysis. They, I think what's crucial for a nonprofit organization is to have someone in place who is uh, whether you're they're internal or outsourced, who is um, preparing accurate, timely 
financial information. Then when you need to create program profitability analysis or forecast cash flows or do some what if scenarios like I mentioned earlier, you've got that information to feed into. Sometimes you might have a board member with a strong finance or accounting background that can use some of that information. So we use some software tools to facilitate the projections and create more visual presentations that are easier for for people, especially who aren't numbers people, to be able to digest that information. But that doesn't mean you have to do that. If you have somebody, if you or somebody on your board or within your team can run Excel, you can you can create some very basic um, forecasts and what mm-hmm. if scenarios with just some basic Excel skills. I mean, so you d- don't feel like you have to engage an, an external accountant um, if you have these uh, resources available to you. If you don't, it can be a great way to leverage an outsourced re- an outsourced resource uh, like TDT or others who can um, do these calculations for you perhaps more efficiently because we have the tools and the ex- expertise and experience to do it and to pre- present it back to you in a way that helps you more quickly and easily connect the dots between what the information is saying and what your options are now for how you act and and go out to your donors based on what this information tells us. Right. So our good friend Excel is, you know, and again, there are templates out there for things like cash flow projections that are, are fairly accessible. Um, but mostly this is not integrated into accounting software to, to do that forward projection sorts of things, right? Or Right, I, yeah. right. It's not built in to the capabilities of the accounting software or not, not like a QuickBooks online. Right. There are external tools. Uh, there's so many tools and other applications that you can integrate with QuickBooks Online. Um, so I mentioned earlier, you know, you can integrate uh, lots of different donor softwares. You can integrate uh, financial modeling and forecasting softwares. You can integrate point of sale. Uh, you know, there's, if you if you go to um, the Intuit, the QuickBooks website and look at their apps, their app connections, you can see hundreds of apps that are available to integrate. And there's all kinds of information about, you know, what ratings they have uh, from other users. And so that's a great place to start. If you, especially if you're already using another software, if you're using something for donor management, um, you know, that's a great place to start is look on the app store for QuickBooks and see what integrations already exist. You might not have to change anything. You might just need to create a connection. So good advice, I think, on that for sure. I, I do want to take a moment now to go back a little bit about uh, the the integration of donor software into accounting software and what levels of information are really helpful there. So I think one of the questions I've struggled with is, you know, let's say you've got 5,000 donors. Do you want 5,000 different records in your QuickBooks online or do you need to just reconcile total deposits from donors of a certain dollar amount in accounting and be able to do that without necessarily having to import first name, last name, address, you know, of, of every donor. Um, and I, I don't really have a great um, answer to that question when I talk with people about it. So how do you envision, is it always a good idea to bring every donor record in if it's easy to do in a, in a synchronized um, integrated way that already happens and you just have to push the button or does it make more sense to really look at it more from a reconciliation of, I need to know that all of these donors 
um, total this deposit that you know is in the bank that you know does have to be accounted for uh, when we do the the basic stuff, and that those are individuals that are unrestricted, or these are individuals that are restricted, or whatever it may be, without necessarily needing to know all the contact information of every donor. So I I would say I look at it two different ways. The first way is if donors are giving you money and you are recording the gift in the accounting software as a deposit and capturing that in the donor database, the donor software, um, I would not duplicate, duplicate that donor's detailed information in the accounting software. I would make sure that if there's a restriction attached to that gift, that that has been captured uh, and with the transaction, but I don't think the individual donor's name and contact information and whether or not they want our newsletter received on paper or right. electronically doesn't need to be there. The, the second case would be if you are accepting pledges or promises to give in the future, especially if they're on multi-year um, payment frequencies, then I would think very uh, carefully about the benefit of putting that detailed information into QuickBooks. So this is where I think a lot of organizations struggle is that they are out raising uh, funds through pledges or promises to give. And if, and so if you don't ever record that until they pay it, if you'd ever record that in QuickBooks or in your accounting software until they actually pay it, your, your financial statements don't represent this amount that has been promised to you, but just not yet received. So all of a sudden you're missing from your financial statement, from your balance sheet, this asset of pledges that will be coming in, in the next year, in the next two years, in the next five years. And, and so accounting for those as a receivable and being able to, um, to know who owes you what and when from your accounting software is a really valuable piece of information to have in your accounting software um, that you could decide it's important to put it in donor by donor into the accounting software. If you don't do that, you at least need to put it into a summarized, you know, adjusting entry so that your financials at oh. least reflect the amount. But if you don't, but it, you, if you put it in donor by donor, you could run a report right out of your accounting system that says this $100,000 that's coming to us is due from these 50 people. And here's the aging of when we expect for them to pay without having to go to somebody in, you know, the development component and get that information and then reconcile and make sure that they match. And to not lose track of some of those pledges over time that, you know, if you've mm -hmm. gotten that into the accounting software and, you know, that development person left and this one came in and all the rest of it, that there's another check in there to go. We were expecting uh, a follow-up gift this year from, you know, that donor. Um, it's not here. You know, how are we kind of tracking that we should be getting back in touch with them about fulfilling on those pledges and what's going on? That, that's a super compelling and important thing, I think, to talk about. 
to, to really think about those assets that are uh, part of your organization's mission and, and accomplishment, but aren't yet physically in a, well, physically, uh, I was going to say physically in a bank, like anything's physically in a bank anymore, um, <laughs> you know, that aren't yet recorded, uh, you know, at an account that you hold. Um, and I think that if, you know, so many organizations I'm talking to are looking at um, small scale recurring donors, you know, the, the $5 a month, the $20 a month kinds of things um, as important revenue streams that, that those folks, instead of giving, you know, 150 bucks once are, are giving $15 a month for the foreseeable future, you can project some portion of that revenue is going to fall off and some portion of that is going to come in, you know, hopefully most of it is coming in. Um, but really important to know, you know, we're not starting out next year um, having to raise all of that money. We've kind of already raised some of it. We just have to follow up with those people um, and make sure that they're coming in. That's probably the most compelling reason I've, I've heard to really think about who gets into that system and how. Um, so does that integration for those uh, pledges receivable, gifts receivable, you know, happen differently from folks that have made that one-time contribution in most software? Or do you have to like either turn on the whole fire hose and get everything from the donor relationship management software or nothing from the system? Yeah, it, so most of these integrations are very customizable. Okay. And so it depends on your donor software, um, but then, so I think here's one thing to be mindful of, especially if you're a, uh, an executive director of a small nonprofit and you're going to be the one doing this. <laughs> um, like a lot of times we'll think, okay, well, we've got this system and this system. We're just going to connect them and we're going to roll on down the road. Most of the time there are capabilities and settings down in the details of each system that you can turn off or on to decide. So um, depending on what system you have, you know, can Im impact what all options there are, but usually there are options that you can turn off or on. And sometimes when, when the people that, that are charged with doing this, it's not their area of expertise or, or they just don't have the time to devote to it, um, might just, you know, take kind of an out of the box um, integration and roll with it usually there are ways to customize things within those integrations as well. That's so interesting to hear about. And I, I was not aware. So this is just a great learning for me to um, hear you talk about the, the ability to do that and to get the right help that you need to um, think about what parts of this do we feel is valuable and what parts of it may actually just be kind of extra and, and for that matter, distracting um, information in the system. So I think um, looking at that, um, um, comprehensively this way is super important, uh, especially as organizations try to move towards more um, commitments for future revenue. So do you think about things like just the basic recurring donor campaigns as um, uh, a um, you know, current receivable versus a long-term receivable? Because you know, how long might that you know, $20 a month uh, donor continue to give $20 a month? I mean, do we put them out two years or is that just unrealistic and we only try to account for the fact that you know, maybe we take it year by year when you've got somebody that's pledging that way. How do you help people sort through what to count on? Yeah, to the extent that you have some historical data that you can base some assumptions on, you can you can make that decision. You can say, you know, if you've if you've got the data that says, um, you know, ninety percent of our donors who who choose our option to give thirty five dollars per month, ninety percent of them do that for an average of three years. 
then you can say, okay, well, this is the assumption we're going to build in to this connection, or even if we're not connecting or, connecting or integrating the software, this is the assumption we're going to build into the entry we make based on that historical data. Um, if you don't have the historical data to support that, then I would, you know, I think it's going to depend on you and your board, uh, your users of the financial statements, kind of level of, um, you know, how I'm trying to think of the word, just, I guess, how aggressive or how yeah. um, optimistic. You know, careful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> how optimistic uh, you want to be about that. So, you know, there are intentions to give and there are promises to give. Right. So when it comes to um, financial reporting, external financial reporting, you should only be recording and reporting on unconditional promises to give. You don't want to report externally, like on an audited financial statement. You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to include a conditional promise to give. Um, so somebody has said, "I will give you ten thousand dollars if you raise a hundred thousand dollars." If you haven't raised a hundred thousand dollars, there's still a condition attached. That's not mm -hmm. something that you want to record and report out externally. Now you might want to capture it and report on it internally for your own management purposes and for cash flow forecasting or for some of that scenario planning. It's important to 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 know though, you know, what you report internally for managing the organization can be different than the way you report externally on financials that have to be in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. So um, we, we do, our firm also audits a lot of nonprofit organizations. And so, you know, that the audit of the year-end financials, those have to be in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. That doesn't mean that the way those are reported has to be the same way management reports and uses the financials all year long. There can be year-end adjustments to get in accordance with um, with gap. And so I think it's important to recognize that the financials, the way you report month by month need to be helpful tools for you to manage the, the organization. Now, if you do have some significant year end adjustments that have to be made, you want to make sure anybody who has seen the monthly financials and sees the annual financials, like your board of directors, understands the reason for the big mm -hmm. adjustments at the end of the year. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that, that, that shouldn't happen. Wow, that's um, compelling. And again, just so interesting to think about um, how, how one does that. So let me just ask you that follow-up question about what is an unconditional promise to give when somebody goes to a web form and says, sign me up monthly for $20 a month. Is that an unconditional promise to give more than a year out? Yeah, it can depend on, on the language around it, but most likely that is a promise to give okay. versus an intention. If, you know, if they've actually signed up and given you their credit card information and said, I want to, I want to give $35 a month, that is most likely an unconditional promise to give. Okay. Now, how long they do that, I would still base back on some of the historical data that you have. And if you don't have historical data for your organization, um, there, there's information out there that you can access um, you know, more um, globally about what others are seeing. Same with um, estimating a percentage of uncollectible promises. Right. So just because somebody does make an unconditional promise, 
doesn't necessarily mean they will actually pay it. And so estimating a, an allowance for uncollectible promises to give or uncollectible pledges is also an, an element that you would want to factor in to your reporting and to your you know, forecasting and assumptions as well. And I think in the development world, there's, uh, again, benchmarks that we talk about that have never been integrated to accounting that we just sort of assume, you know, there's there's going to be <clears throat> a, a drop off in um, people who haven't made that unconditional promise to give, but, um, you know, maybe gave once, twice, three times, but, you know, you're going to see at least 20% of them for any given charity in a year that you're like, well, we thought we were going to get that person back, but they just you know, um, were too casually connected to our mission. And, and because they hadn't made a, an actual promise to give, and we just sort of made assumptions like, well, they gave three years in a row, but the fourth year is the year they got bored and moved on to a different charity or something else happened in their lives or they lost work or any number of things. So we're always knowing there's going to be churn in donor revenue. The question, I guess, is, you know, how reliable is your particular stream? When it comes to the accounting software, those folks that have just given at year end with their letters every single year for three years, that's not a promise to give next year. That's just, you know, they did. So when you look at the accounting, it's not going to show anything um, coming up for them, even though internally we may be assuming we do this letter every year, we do this to this many donors, we assume that we're going to get this much money based on past information. That's not in the accounting software until it's actually realized. Right, right. And and that can feed into your budgeting process. You know, you can say, we're going to we're going to budget that we're going to receive about the same number of just annual gifts as we did last year. Or we've got this um, new program that we're adding and we feel like because of the the marketing and promotion efforts of that new program, we're going to we're going to get x percentage more, you know, for that. Those one-time gifts uh, can historical information about one-time gifts can drive your budget as you think through how are we going to achieve these amounts. Um, but when you talk about promises to give in the future, like for a specific campaign, so you know we're raising money to put on a new roof, um, and would you give us $1,000 for this purpose? Um, we're going to put the roof on in September, you know, right now it's July. Would you do that? You know, yes, I will. Knowing that you have that commitment, even though they haven't paid it yet, is something that you would want to capture um, so that you know, okay, we need, uh, you know, this much money to repair the roof. How are we doing? A lot of organizations only track that in the donor management software and not the accounting software. They only record it once that that person's actually paid their money. If you're using the financial information from the accounting software to build any kind of um, cash flow projections or what if scenarios, having that additional info about those receivables, just like you would if you were selling a product on credit. I mean, it's, you're not, but it's essentially the same transaction. It's a receivable, it's a promise to pay you in the future. Having that information right out of the accounting software makes it easier to build those Excel templates or to feed into those integrated softwares that can really tell you where you're at and you know, what if this happens, what if that happens, or even just timing of cash flows and managing that um, with the money that's yet to come in based on promises you've received. 
Yeah, I think that that's such strong advice for any charity of really any size, but certainly the ones that are looking to grow a little bit more where that forward thinking gift um, is more part of it. I think uh, often the the sub-million dollar charity is just kind of working on today's giving only and not thinking about asking people to pledge forward and and do that. But of course, working towards that is a goal of many and thinking about how that integrates super important. Um, so there are some things that we need accounting to know about donors in order to kind of do this work right or somehow import or export that information. Um, and one of those is that $5,000 threshold in the 990 that we need to be able to report out anybody who in aggregate has given that dollar amount or more uh, to the charity's work. And, you know, often that's institutional giving, but, you know, with any luck, it's going to be some individuals too. Um, do um, integrations to the these packages allow you to kind of do that more easily from the accounting software? Do you just always try to go back to donor management to make sure you've captured everybody that um, because of that, that whole in aggregate question that if they gave $2,000 here and $1,000 there and, and all the rest of it, and it became $5,000 during the year, um, but maybe didn't show up as any one transaction, what's the best way to make sure when it's time to put those reports together, we've got a fairly easy to access accurate list? Yes, yeah, so this list best comes from that donor management system. Okay. And th there's usually a process to reconcile that with what's been recorded in the accounting software. Now, if the systems are integrated, you might be able to avoid having to reconcile uh, as long as you have a solid process in place you know, for that connectivity. But the information that aggregates that like you mentioned, this donor gave $1,000 in September uh, and another thousand, you know, another $6,000 in December. So they need to be on our 990 list. Um, that is best to come from the donor software because the accounting software is generally not set up to, to capture that way. I mean, you could do it. You could you know, put in for every single deposit, set those donors up as a customer and then run reports by customers. But that's just, if you're already capturing it in a donor system, because you also want to track other interactions and, you know, uh, newsletters and all of this and history with them, it's usually not worth your time and redundant efforts to also put that level of detail into the, the accounting software. I would really focus on that putting it into the donor soft or into the accounting software when we're thinking about pledges and promises to give in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I can't believe that we're already starting to run low on time because uh, I, um, it, it's just such a, a great conversation, but we are running a little bit low. So as you're thinking about all of these elements in conversation, um, how do you begin, you know, uh, say a, a, a new executive director um, calls you up and so, you know, we're thinking about, getting better help, different help um, on our accounting, um, thinking about these questions about how we understand um, how the revenue comes in, donors especially. Um, how do you begin helping them sort through um, what are the tools that are right for you? What are the questions that you try to ask to understand? Is this a QuickBooks integration question? Is this one where we leave the integration off? Uh, do you just not use QuickBooks because it's the wrong tool for you? Um, are, are there places that you begin that, that thought? Yeah, so we really start with understanding the the different use cases for the reporting and the goals that they have around that information, how to use it internally and externally. And then we 
go through a process optimization. So how are you currently doing things and where are there opportunities to automate processes, integrate softwares, and improve internal controls. We haven't talked about internal controls yet. Um, this is, <laughs> you know, for for nonprofit organizations, especially smaller ones, this can be a big challenge. Oftentimes, smaller nonprofit organizations um, have few employees, uh, if any. They're maybe all volunteers, maybe one paid executive director, and the executive director is trying to um, execute on the mission and maybe deliver some programming, manage volunteers, and oh, also by the way, take deposits to the bank, right. record things in QuickBooks. And so And heavens forbid any of that is cash. I mean, goodness gracious. Right, <laughs> yeah. And so, so oftentimes um, those executive directors come to us when they've kind of reached their limit. Like they know there's gotta be a, a better way. And uh, and this is there. There are these blind spots that happen as organizations grow and get to kind of they're approaching that next level. There's all these blind spots along the way, and this is one of them. Is like I've reached the end of my capability or my capacity or both, and I know there's got to be a better way. And so we work with them to look at how do you do things now. Where can we find automation and integration, whether that's donor softwares or bank feeds into the accounting software to eliminate data entry? And where can we make sure that there is proper control in place? We might, we probably can't segregate duties unless you go to some outsourcing, you know, um, relationships, but you need to make sure there's some oversight then, some compensating controls because you're doing everything. <laughs> and so you need board members involved or outsourced resources. Um, and so, so that's where we start is um, helping them either as a standalone engagement or if, if we are gonna do outsourced accounting for organizations, we start with this as well uh, because we don't wanna perpetuate something that is no longer working. We want to step back and say, do we need to rearrange the chart of accounts? Do we need to make sure we're classing transactions so that we can report by profit loss by program? Uh, do we need to um, integrate the donor software? You know, how can we set this up to help you get uh, get things back under control? Because you know you've been working so hard to get this three hundred thousand dollar grant that puts you over a million, and now you got it, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> How am I going to keep up with this? And so that's usually where we come in. That's when people come to us. It's like they've reached the end of their capacity, uh, and and we we actually have a, a um, an ebook that goes through these different blind spots. That's one of them. There's four others in this ebook that I've written that um, that is available for your uh, listeners as well. That if they text blind spot to three three seven seven seven, they can download this ebook and and it walks you through you listeners through these blind spots and what you can actually do, you know, with our help, that's great. But it also goes through how you can do this yourself or with resources of people that you have available through board members or volunteers as well. 
a whole nother area with so much more to talk about, but we are unfortunately out of time today to dig more into it. But what we've been able to do has been so helpful to me. I hope to other people that are listening uh, to really think through some of these issues. Uh, So important to do. It may not be the the most glamorous thing that any nonprofit has ever done in their mission work, but it is most important to to consider these things to do it well. So um, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, Courtney Duranda is a CPA and manager partner of TDT CPAs and advisors. Courtney, thanks again. Yes, thank you, Steve, for having me. And again, we'd love for your listeners to get access to that information so that they can take that next step and identify these blind spots. So again, if they text blind spot to 33777, or you can go to tddpc.com slash next nonprofits and get access to it there for free as well. We'll make sure those links are available in the notes. Courtney, you have a great day. Ah, thank you, Steve.